This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debates. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today, my guest on Off the Shelf is Alan Thomas. Alan is the Chief Operating Officer for IntelliBridge and former Commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service at GSA. And naturally, of course, we're going to be talking about GSA today. So first of all, Alan, welcome to the show. How's your summer going? Uh, Going well so far. Thanks, Roger. Always good to be with you. It's always good to, uh, you know, chat with you because I learn a lot about GSA um, based on all the things that insights that you provide. And I think the first place, and it's at top of mind for lots of scheduled contractors and obviously for GSA as well, is the impact of inflation and in particular how it's translating into the schedules program and economic price adjustments. And yes, what are you, what's your sense of what's going on and, and how things are going? Well, I think, you know, compared to where we were maybe six months ago from an industry perspective, it sounds like uh, GSA has got a much better handle on processing these, you know, these price adjustments for, uh, for for vendors, right? So I think, you know, people are still, I would say, lightly disgruntled, right, from an industry perspective, which is probably where industry always is when it, when it comes to GSA. But I think, as I said, for the most part, I think they've got a pretty good handle on it. You know, I have heard kind of recently that the pace of change, right, and the, what what's going on in industry, you know, hey, updating prices, you know, quarterly or, or monthly is even not enough anymore, right? And people are, you know, people are almost doing weekly kinds of price changes. And I don't, you know, I don't think GSA is postured from a workload perspective to be able to process changes that quickly. And they certainly aren't envisioning it, but, you know, I think they're at a place where, you know, it's, it's the issues at least on, on what I would call simmer. Um, and, you know, we we'll just have to kind as of monitor it, right, and see where, <laughs> as opposed to boil. I think a few months ago it, it was a boil, right. Yeah. Um, you know, where, where industry just said, look, we, you know, we, the, the the market's changing rapidly and GSA wasn't able to keep pace with them. I think, you know, there's some things that the policy folks did, right? Uh, Mark Lee and Jeff Kosas, right, that provided some guidance for then the, then the you know, the contracting officers to go ahead and make those adjustments. There's still a workload issue, I think, right? And I mean, from, you know, from an industry perspective, I think you hear people say, boy, it feels like they could maybe use a few more contracting officers, uh, and, and, um, you know, kind of an aside is then, Hey, well, I might like to see my contracting officer in person every, every once in a while. Cause I haven't, haven't done that in a while. Um, so I do, I do think there's still a workload perspective there. Hopefully the macroeconomic environment gets a little better. Inflation comes down, gets more stable. Right. And this, you know, this is an issue that fades, but we'll, we'll see. I think it's one, one to continue to monitor. Yeah. I think you hit some, on something and it's the pace of the you know, the changes in the market and whether or not GSA can keep up with those changes in pricing, you know, like you said, almost weekly in some cases. And, um, you know, and I think that's where, you know, that simmer could go to like medium, right. And then back to boil potentially. Um, because it, it, because you know, I think one of the things that, um, yeah, that I see is that whether or not there's a full sensitivity to what, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this, 
uh, what it means. The company, some of these companies are in positions where they'll be, they literally would lose money selling under their schedule if they don't get adjustments and whether or not there's enough of the sensitivity to what's really going on in the commercial market. Yeah, I, I have absolutely heard of that, uh, of that, particularly for some small businesses, right? Who say, look, it, it actually doesn't make sense for us to sell this, right? Like, I, you know, I'd rather do nothing than, than take a loss on this. I think some of the bigger players have been willing to incur some losses to keep, you know, to keep their end customer happy, right? I mean, no, no, you know, your end customer is never happy. You say, hey, I want to buy something. You say, no, sorry. You know, I say, wait, right, I thought yeah. you were in business to sell me this thing, right? No, yeah. sorry, you can't, you can't get that. So for the bigger players, I think they've been willing to incur some losses, but, but, you know, not forever, right? And right. it's not, it's not really fair to ask them to, uh, to do that. And like I said, I, I have absolutely heard from smaller players who have said, yeah, we've just decided not, not to sell that at least in the, in the short term, because it, it doesn't make economic sense for us to do it. I do think some of the larger players, maybe some of the big distributors have done a little bit of a service for the government too, in the sense that they've been willing to take some of those losses and kind of almost on behalf of their, of their small suppliers who sell through them, right. Which has kept some of those smalls whole and, and kind of kept them in the, in the market. And again, the bigs are thinking about it from a perspective of, look, I want to satisfy my end customer, right. I, you know, I don't want right. the Navy mad at me because they're a core customer and, you know, I'm going to be doing business with them for a long, for a long time. Right. Um, but yeah, that's, that, that's an issue. I'm not sure how aware they are of some of that pain uh, in terms of what, what's going on in the market. But, um, you know, and some, sometimes some of these companies are a little shy uh, about about kind of trying to bring that up to, to GSA leadership. But I think, you know, it'd be good. It, it, it'd be good maybe through, say, an industry association for some of those stories to be uh, to be told to the GSA leadership. Oh, that 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 makes a lot of sense, Alan. <laughs> I wonder, I thought, wonder I thought, who's going to do you that. Might like that approach, <laughs> right? Um, and, and you touched on something, I, and I just want to expand on a little bit before we move to the next topic. And I, I think it's a, I think you're right on as well. I, I, I think um, you know that there is a workload challenge right now, and I think because I hear about it all the time, and I and they are aggressively, to their credit, trying to hire folks, and I. And perhaps you know, just the, you know, the consolidation of schedules in some ways may have even highlighted that, right? Perhaps because the old idea behind that was to be able to, you know, adjust workload flow and that sort of stuff through a consolidated platform of contracts versus like the more stovepipe, you know, regional approach. Um, you know, is that, are you, is that what, you know, just to, do you have anything to expand on and what you're hearing with regard to the workload and, you know, hiring folks? So that, that was certainly the plan from a schedules consolidation perspective. One benefit is, Hey, yeah, you can move, you can move workload around a little more easily. I mean that when you pair it with some of the system improvements that are starting to come online was supposed to be a boost for the workforce um, and the ability to manage work internally at GSA. I think you probably also do need, like you said, though, a plus up in contracting officers. You know, the tough thing there is they just don't grow on trees. Right. And and, uh, you know, and and good ones are in good ones are in demand. Right. Right. And, uh, there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of competition among federal agencies for, you know, for those for those good contracting officers. And a scheduled contracting officer is, you know, is a little bit different. Right. If you just pluck somebody 
uh, out of a contracting shop and drop them in um, and, and had them, you know, sort of manage and negotiate on a schedule. It, it takes a little bit of time to get up to speed, right? It's a slightly, slightly different skill set, I think, um, than just sort of your, your garden variety, uh, you know, KO bring, brings to the table. So right. there's a you know, l- little bit of a learning curve there also. Yeah. And I think another thing I just with your thoughts is just this transition to, to transactional data reporting, um, you know, from the traditional, you know, commercial sales practices, that's also like a training, you know, it's, it's training is needed for that and to move to that. And I think that, you know, that, that also, I think is um, to your point, we say it's a different sort of job than your traditional sort of contracting officer. There's some truth to that in the context of transactional data in the, in a, in that expanding as well. Is that your sense? That is my sense. Yeah. That there, there are some unique things about that role at GSA, particularly in the schedules program, which, as I said, it take, you know, it's not, it's certainly not, not impossible. Right. But if you, you know, if you had just hired somebody out of a standard contracting shop in, in government, you know, there's probably, you know, maybe I would say six months or so of a, of a learning curve to, uh, to climb there. There's some different terminology. And as you said, a little, little, some, some different things you need to be aware of um, and kind of factor into how you negotiate and manage your, uh, your vendor relationships that are, you know, that are different than the, than, than the norm. Last question in the, before the break, and that's just on TDR too. Do you, is your sense there's still full speed ahead? You know, GSA is supposed to make it voluntary, you know, but across the entire schedules program, but a voluntary where you can opt in or if you choose to as a business. And there was a recent IG, the latest alert um, after, about, I think there's about, about five different audit reports. And there isn't a lot of empirical data in there, in their analysis. It's amazing sort of conclusionary statements. I mean, that's at least, you know, my reading of it. But do you still think it's full steam ahead to the fall? They're going to implement it? I do. I haven't heard anything uh, to the to the contrary there. So I do think it's full steam ahead. And I think, uh, you know, there's certainly a section of industry that realized the power of TDR and how that's, you know, that's a good deal both for industry and, and for government. And I think um, sort of the rest of industry is starting to wake up to that uh, also, right? And say, hey, this is, you know, this this is good. This makes a lot of business sense. And from a government perspective, it makes a lot of sense in terms of being able to collect that data and then use that data to take action on. So it feels like there's momentum there. I know it's not the IG's favorite thing. There probably will continue to be, uh, you know, reports that are not flattering uh, around uh, around TDR. But I think I think uh, Jeff Kosis and the team there, uh, the FAS team, will probably do a pretty good job of highlighting some of the some of the benefits, right? Which which right. we'll start to see as more as more vendors enroll right in TDR and you get more data and that data gets in more people's hands and you're able to take action on it. You're able to then demonstrate really the, the benefit of it from a government perspective. Right. And so we're on the break, uh, Alan. And when we come back, let's, let's, you mentioned systems. Why don't we go to systems and what's going on there? I know when you came to FAS, you talked about like 170 different little you know, IT, you know, I guess modules slash systems and Task your efforts. systems, yes. <laughs> right, right. And your efforts to try to address those, but also that's a continuing ongoing effort and just get your sense of where things are. My guest today is Alan Thomas. He's the Chief Operating Officer for IntelliBridge. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network.
Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. My guest today is Alan Thomas. Alan is the Chief Operating Officer for IntelliBridge. He's also former Commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service at GSA. And Alan, um, I know when you first got there, and I know you spoke to the coalition members, the first thing you brought up was systems. And just, your, you know, the number of different systems that, uh, what is it, a 3,000 or so person organization, you know, had in place. Granted, you know, as $60 billion worth of, you know, you know, of commerce essentially going through that organization. So it's a big, big place in a certain sense as well. Um, but, you know, can do you want to provide a sense of where GSA is and their modernization efforts? You kind of kicked off a lot of these things. Yeah, no, th- thanks, Roger. Yeah, I did. I did kick them off, certainly in concert with a number of folks who are still there. And it's really sort of gratifying uh, to see the progress that's been made in a number of areas. As you said, uh, you know, that when I spoke to the coalition that first time, I remember getting there, I got a briefing from the IT folks. Said, yeah, there's 170 task-based systems that, you know, folks in the Federal Acquisition Service use to get their job done every day. And I thought, man, that seems, that seems like a lot of systems. And when you, when you dig into it, the impact is, you know, you go talk to a contracting officer at that time and they would say, oh, yeah, there's... Um, 14 different systems I need to log into over the course of the day to get, you know, to get, to get my job done, which just seems, you know, that's just, just seems like, like a lot, right. And the, and the user experience in those systems, shall we say, was not, not overly pleasant in many of them, right. I mean, you literally had, you know, some almost kind of green screen type uh, experiences there. So yeah, I, I put, I definitely put some emphasis and felt like it was a way to, you know, ultimately improve customer service, both to industry and to the agencies is to have the people within GSA and within FAS be using good modern systems that are easy to use that would allow them to deliver, you know, the, the kind of customer service that they really, that they really want to deliver. You know, as, as these things evolve, I mean, I know, you know there's a, ultimately an end game here, you know, to implement these systems and how they, and you know, how they all work together. Is that, you know, where, where do we go next and, and what are you going to be watching and focusing on? I think that that's the big question is you start to see some success individually in some of these initiatives, how are they going to be stitched together? And then ultimately what's the impact both on the workforce at GSA and also on, you know, on the agency customers and on the industry partners, right? So are we seeing, for example, in the catalog platform initiative, are we seeing industry saying, hey, I'm now able to upload my uh, catalog and manage my data in there. And I've saved, you know, a man day in, uh, in doing that, right? That's potentially powerful when you multiply that across thousands and thousands of industry partners. Likewise, on the, on the workforce side within GSA, you know, are people able to manage contracts, process mods, do the things they need to do every day in a more timely fashion, right? Are they, are they saving time? Are there fewer errors, right? Having uh, having the workforce, you know, key in few, fewer things, right? Is data kind of data automatically being pulled and populated, right? So everybody's working from a the so-called single source of truth. Um, you know, those are the sort of I would think over the course of the next maybe eighteen months or so, the kind of powerful uh, stories that you'd like to hear coming out of some of these improvements and and the modernization initiatives that they that GSA has undertaken. From your experience, is the hardest thing about the systems, you know, because GSA is a market maker, right? It brings, you know, the customer and then industry together. Is it make creating that system that really 
elegantly sort of connects the customer and their requirements to potential industry partners? I think that's a challenging, you know, a, a challenging area. I think it's, it's also just sort of avoiding the, the tendency of an organization, you know, a big organization, right. For everybody to kind of want to have their individual system. Right. And sort of, and then, 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 you know, that's how you get the 170 sort of patchwork, right. Like all those systems were a good idea to somebody at some time. Um, and they and they solved a problem. It's just when you sort of layered them all on and didn't kind of modernize and really connect them in a meaningful way over a number of years that you get this, you know, you get that sort of closet like everybody has in their house where you open it and you're like, what is all that stuff in there? It's like, well, it's somebody bought each of those things and it was a good idea at the time, right? So right. I, I think that the it's going to take a little bit of discipline, right? Is if you get a series of, kind of larger connected systems that provide that consistent experience for vendors, for the workforce, for federal agencies to, to manage it and to be disciplined about it and not sort of get into then the idea that, well, wait, everyone's going to sort of go off and start to develop additional modules and, and additional task-based sort of applications that get sort of layered on there. Right. And you, again, they're all a good idea at the time. And then you, you know, you look at it five years from now and you see, Oh, wait, we're back to the, you know, we're, we're back to the problem that we were trying to solve to begin with. Yeah. I mean, that's, I would almost call it like systems by anecdote or, or, or incident. Right. And it's like regulations. Oh, a bad thing happened. So we got to write a rule on it. Right. And before you know it, you've got thousands of pages of rules like system. Oh, we need this to be able to do this one thing rather than, you know, looking at it holistically. It's, I mean, that's a governance challenge, is correct? a management challenge at FAS, right? Just generally, or any organization. It, it, agreed, absolutely. And I love the analogy to regulation, right? And, and kind of, you know, law and things like that, right? Where, yes, we're solving a specific problem, and, you know, over time we layer that on. There is a fairly strong, I mean, one, one thing uh, that, that uh you know, that happened at GSA while I was there. And I'm, I know it's continued under Sonny and I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's strengthened it in a number of ways was to put a, to put a governance group in place, right. To manage the investments yeah. that were made, particularly in systems, because those were being made in uh, a stovepipe fashion. So in some sense, it's like, Hey, your GSA was getting the output that you would expect, right. You gave a bunch of different people some money to go off and do their own thing. They all took the money and went off and did their own thing no surprise, right? Right. Hey, you put a governance group in place, which says, look, we're going to look at these investments centrally, evaluate them against each other, make people coordinate with each other. You're going to get, you know, you're going to get more of a kind of uh, an enterprise approach to, uh, to investing and in, in modernizing your systems. And I know, I know that's continues. And as I said, I, I think probably a, a strong suit for, for Sonny in terms of his background right. and, was, uh, yeah. and, and abilities there. Yeah. So I, I know, I know that's continued and I'm sure he's done Good job. Heck, heck of a better job than I did, probably. Right. Well, and I think a lot of that sort of centralization is the office of enterprise strategy. You know, Charlotte Phelan is the new assistant commissioner there. A lot of that's being placed there. The systems, the ownership of systems and trying to figure that. Does that make sense to you? It does. Actually, Charlotte is quite a capable manager. In fact, she was one of the last uh, SES that I hired uh, when I was at when I was in, uh, in, in the Federal Acquisition Service. And yeah, she has a, uh, she's got a good, good, strong uh, IT background and um, just is also just a very, uh, a very strong manager and is somebody who, uh, who's really able to, to get things done. So yeah, I think, 
that, that, that governance, that's where that governance group lived, at least, you know, when I left there. And I think having somebody like Charlotte in charge of that, among other things in her portfolio, makes a, makes a lot of sense, right? She's the kind of person who's able to bring people together, uh, get some consensus, but also, you know, able to maybe knock a head or two when you need to knock a head or two together, right, to get people to cooperate a little bit. Right. I think that's that that Pentagon background she has, I think, perhaps helps in that regard uh, as well. So, hey, Alan, we're up on the break. When we come back, uh, I want to sort of turn this conversation to the FAS market strategy overall and then weave in there like, you know, where you think in that within that strategy, the e-commerce, you know, pilot as a transition to a next generation of it where that fits in as well. So um, my guest today is Alan Thomas. He is the Chief Operating Officer at IntelliBridge. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. My guest today is Alan Thomas. He's the Chief Operating Officer for IntelliBridge, and he's the former Commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service at GSA. Uh, And Alan, you know, I think, again, this sort of kicked off during your tenure trying to develop an overall marketplace strategy for FAS. And I'd like to get your sense on, you know, how it's evolved, you know, the thought process, perhaps initially too, why, well, what sparked the move in this direction, how it's evolved and where it's going. So I think the initial idea was there were a number of initiatives going on across the federal acquisition service um, that you know were focused on either improving the agency buying experience or the industry experience in terms of dealing with GSA and and uh, so a lot lot of good work being done, but they weren't necessarily knit together into a into a coherent story. And so, kind of asked the team there at at GSA to think think about how to do that and what's the right construct for that. And you know, folks came up with this federal marketplace strategy and this idea of releases, right? So packaging in uh, things together, you know, almost like you would for a software product, right? We've got a, you know, a 1.0 and a 1.1, right? Get into this kind of a rhythm of quarterly releases. I like the idea. I think think a lot of people on the team like the idea. And it looks like so far it's stuck, right? It has a nice rhythm to it. And it really does provide a way to integrate a number of things that aren't necessarily technology related from an improvement perspective, right? So you think about all the things that are being done, say in the, on, in the policy area with uh, Mark Lee and uh, with, with Jeff Kosas, right? Those are really important things that have a huge impact both on the agency buying experience and on industry. And this was a way to sort of bring those in, tie them together with some of the other things going on in, in the acquisition service and, and, in some ways kind of elevate some of these improvements, right. And give people like a framework so they can, they can think about them and also something to look forward to as right? people say, Hey, you know, that's great. What about this? Say, hey, we're working on that. You know, that's probably two quarters away until that comes out. So it's been, you know, from my perspective, it's been gratifying to see it continued. seems like it's a framework that, um, you know, is working uh, so far. And so your, and your sense at the operational level, you know, you mentioned, um, policy and systems, but at the operational level and implementation level, the role of the program management office, and that's part of also that office of enterprise strategy and, you know, and ultimately it's under Charlotte Phelan as well. Your, you know, 
your sense of its role in, you know, developing the strategy, at least in terms of the building blocks of it, like consolidation and that sort of thing? Yeah, that I would say that Office of Enterprise Strategy Management really is the kind of quarterback on on all these things, right? That's the place where it all gets tied together, where the story gets told, and uh, to some extent where um, they're kind of managing timelines and you know making sure things are being done appropriately and, and sort of packaging it up uh, and then being able to communicate it out to both agency agency buyers and to the you know to, to industry partners right about what's being done what the impact is and then and then what's on the what's on the horizon right it makes sense to bring that all into kind of a central place so that you get a nice consistent message out there about all the things uh, all the all the good things that are being done in those in those areas. And then there are individual conversations, right? You know, hey, something going on with uh, improvements in uh, managing catalogs, for example, or there's a you know a big policy improvement that uh, Mark Lee and team have put out. Right? So, okay, good. You can you know highlight that, and th- those folks will talk about it individually. But it fits in to this bigger, more coherent whole that the you know that the strategy folks have kind of put together and are are communicating out to again to agencies and to industry partners. Yeah, and one thing you mentioned to me is the human centered design, you know, sort of focus on the market. What is, can you expand on that a little bit of what that is and what that means from what, from a customer and contractor perspective? Sure. Yeah. Look, I've seen more emphasis out of uh, the FAS team and the GA, uh, the, the GSA team overall on that, right? And if you just sort of, you know, read, read some things that they're putting out, right? It's a big focus on end user experience and and really bringing appropriate kind of human-centered design principles uh, in, into into ev- everything they do. It makes sense. I mean, you, you look at the administrator's background, right? Robin Carnahan's background, right? She's got um, uh, a background in that, a history in that. So it, it makes sense that she would, you know, that she would emphasize that. And then that would sort of filter down into the rest of the organization. You know, I think it's, uh, I think it's great. Um, you're, you know, all, you're always interested kind of in the, in, in the, end user experience, improving the end user experience. I, I do think it's the kind of thing where you want to make sure you're doing, uh, you know, you're doing enough, but you might not want to be a, a, a complete purist about it, right? Sometimes the the perfect can be the enemy of the good in those, um, in, 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 in those sorts of initiatives. But it, but again, se- seems like it's um, kind of an appropriately placed emphasis. And it also, I think, plays to the skill set of the team that Robin and Sonny sort of have around them, right? And are and in terms of going out and executing this, which which always makes sense for a manager, right? Or, you know, from a think about it from a coach standpoint, it's like, hey, why you know why why are you running this particular offense? Well, it's it you know it suits the players I have and their and their skill sets, right? I think from their standpoint, puts them in the best position to for success, right? That's that's correct. That's right. right. Hey, I've got you know I've got people who have certain strengths, right? Yeah, so we're we're, we're going to utilize those strengths to the to the best of our best of our ability. So make again make makes a lot of sense just from a um, from a management standpoint. Okay, and now I want to I want to turn to the e-commerce uh, portal, and yeah, you know, we're we're in the pilot. Um, can got any updates on that, or where you see it going? Well, it's yeah, we're in the pilot. I've I've noticed a couple of interesting amendments in the NDAA. If people are people are following uh following along there. I don't know if any of them will get uh get adopted or not, but uh yeah, I mean, look, I think you know, it's time it feels like it's time to get out of the pilot, right? I mean, I know that they've that they've 
appointed uh, Jeff Lau, who's the uh, regional commissioner in um, in uh, Region Two, New York, for yeah, yeah in New York, two. that's right, New, yep. New York and the Caribbean, to sort of lead this up. And uh, you know, Jeff is a capable executive, tons of energy, always a lot, a lot of good ideas. You know, seems great, seems like probably the right person to take it out of pilot and make it operational. You know, what I hear from industry participants, particularly those who haven't been able to play in the in the pilot is they're really itching and eager to get in and be part of the more permanent solution for GSA. And I think there's a there's actually a lot of good ideas. They ran and they ran an RFI process several months ago and I think got a got a lot of really good feedback and maybe learned, you know, learned some things, some additional things they could do that they hadn't necessarily thought about in the pilot. You know, so I say full speed ahead, right? I mean, you know, it feels like we've been at this, GSA has been at this for a while and, uh, you know, time, time to operationalize it and get, get the, get the, get the real solution out there. Right. Do you see it as potentially so, you know, when we st- when we started the show talking about like the economic price adjustment issue and inflation, do you see potentially this as in terms of, you know, flexibility and pricing, you know, whether or not, you know, it provides so some healthy competition for the schedules program from that perspective. Uh, you know, there's you know there are obviously fewer barriers to adjusting your price in a concept in the current pilot than there are under the GSA schedules program. I do see it as providing some healthy competition to the schedules program. Look, and there are benefits to selling through the schedules program that you don't you won't necessarily get in the when, when you're selling through this e-commerce portal. But I know from an industry perspective, that flexibility, um, that ability to kind of stay maybe a little more in touch with where the market's moving, particularly in times when prices are volatile and, you know, su- supply chains are, are, are maybe not as stable as they, as they once were, is something that a number of industry players would absolutely appreciate, right? And I think, you know, it'd be, it'd be a smart thing on GSA's part to do, right? To give, to give industry a couple of different avenues to satisfy customer needs. Because look, the reason you put a schedules program in place or you have an e-commerce portal program is you've got end customers who actually have some mission that they need to do, right? And they buy stuff to do the mission, right? And so you want to make sure that you're providing all the appropriate channels so those end customers can get the things they need to get their mission done, right? Well, all, all this stuff we're talking about is sort of in, in the middle, right? But it's supporting something that's actually happening, right? Someone's fighting a forest fire, someone's outfitting a carrier to go on deployment, right? Or some, something along those lines. Um, and so m- kind of more channels that help satisfy customer demand, I think are, are smart. So like I said, I, I say, hey, let's get on with it and get the, get the e-commerce portal out. Let's get some more awards made and, and you know, stand the program up. All right. All right. Well, Alan, we're up on the break. And when we come back for the last segment, Let's talk a little bit about Alliant 3, maybe Oasis Plus. I like that name, Oasis Plus. <laughs> I figured you um, would. And, uh, you know, and then also maybe a little bit, finish up maybe a little bit about the technology transformation service and it's what it's doing. And, you know, currently within FAS, you know, since it was a separate service and then it was merged during Emily Murphy's time at GSA, it was merged in, back into within FAS and just where it is and some of the things it's pitching in and helping out on. My guest today is Alan Thomas. He's the Chief Operating Officer at IntelliBridge. I'm Roger Waldron. You're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network.
Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. My guest today is Alan Thomas. He's the Chief Operating Officer for IntelliBridge, former FAS Commissioner at GSA. And we've been talking all GSA today, Alan. Um, uh, and this segment, let's, uh, as I mentioned, let's talk about GWACs, maybe the future Alliant 3, Oasis Plus. But first, just your take on the, you know, the, the, you know, the state of the union with regard to GWACs and where they are right now um, across government. Sure. So a couple things, I think gr- great to hear GSA talking about Alliant 3. I mean, I think starting early, engaging industry early, engaging the agencies early makes a, makes a lot of sense, helps ultimately reduce protest risk and really produces a better, better product there. So uh, good, really good to hear that. On, on Oasis, I know there have been a couple of important changes made from an industry perspective in particular, and I think from a customer perspective, from that from the original, uh, was it sort of the Big, the Big Mac concept, right? That was probably what we've been talking about that for more, more than a year now, I feel like, which, yes. which I will say, back to my point on Alliant 3, shows the, and again, to GSA's credit and the professional services team credit there within the acquisition service, shows the benefit of early engagement, right? Is that you right. You have some ideas, you get out, you socialize those ideas, you get feedback on them, and then you're able to iterate a few times to get something that you know ultimately is beneficial for agencies and for, and for industry partners. So I think credit goes to them for early engagement, for listening, and then you know making, making a, few, a few changes along the way. I know you're happy about the name change to uh, from, you know, from Big Mac, or then it was going to be something around services. Services to, Mac, and then services Mac, ser- services Mac. Yeah, to to o- o- Oasis Plus. Um, you know, hey, if you've got if you've got an, a a well recognized name for a program that's been successful, it's like you you might as well you might as well stick with it, right? It wasn't they didn't they didn't they didn't Rocky Three wasn't they didn't change the name of that, right? Right, it was right. Just, it was it was Rocky Three, right? And that was for for good for for uh, for, for good reason. I think on the small side. Small business GWAX is interesting. I feel like we're in potentially in a little bit of a of a crunch here. I know GSA is working on Polaris, right? There's some there's some milestones in in uh, in uh, early August in terms of submissions, and uh, the NITAC folks have CIOSP four small, right? That's under evaluation now. I've heard maybe an award in the Novemberish timeframe, although not not sure there. You know, but you're you're. You've got stars for 8A. You've got you've got uh, vets for services they will better known businesses. You know, but there's there's a little bit of a hole in the market right now for small business GWAC. CRSP three is still out there, but it's long in the tooth. And you know, I've seen a number of agencies require recertification at the task order level, which which really shrinks the number of uh, small businesses who are on CRSP three from uh from being able to compete right so you may have 80 or i don't know, 80 90 some odd smalls on there but when you ask for research at the task level at this point in the life of the vehicle you know you get a dozen or so firms who can who can compete so there's there is this little window of time here until polaris hits until the csp4 awards happen we're on the small business side from a tier three uh gwac perspective you're you're you know there's there's, there's a little bit of a hole yeah, I'm, I, I know I want to maybe get your take on that, too. It's kind of interesting because, you know, just this week there was a report from SBA and it's the the largest dollar volume. I saw in a, um, a report on that the largest 
you know, 154 billion or something like that went to small businesses, but it's fewer small businesses. But we're getting that bigger um, a pie, piece of the pie. And there's rightly concern about that industrial base and whether it's too small and that, you know, it, it, it needs to be expanded. Um, is that something that you've thought about or, or think about from the perspective? I, and I don't know whether it's category management or consolidation or just it's a little bit hard, harder to do business right now with the government. What sort of is driving, do you think, that sort of trend? So it, the, the dollars are bigger, so there's success, but the number of contractors getting those dollars is going down. It's, it's so going down. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think a couple of things. I mean, I think they're deaf from a from an internal government perspective. There was a focus on category management, getting spend under management using tier three best in class vehicles. And those vehicles naturally had smaller, a smaller number of more sophisticated small businesses on them. Right. And so as you're pushing more wards through there, you know, it's gonna it's gonna be it's just going to a smaller, smaller number of companies because the requirements to to get on those vehicles were, you know, were pretty significant, right? And there were yes. there were many many smalls who, given where they were in the development of their business, simply didn't qualify. So, sort of, you know, you satisfied one one demand from a let's drive more spend to tier three and get it under management, you know, sort of best in class. But but then you are seeing some of the effects from that. I do think also as there's a push to do more with small businesses. I have, I think, I feel like I've seen a little bit of a trend from an agency perspective to take more larger and more sophisticated requirements and bid and bid them out to small businesses, right? And so that there aren't as many of those, and so you're, you know, you're going to get, you're, you're going to sort of make, you, you make a big award, right? A twenty to one, know, right? To right. one, to one, right? Versus, right? So maybe it's a twenty to twenty-five million dollar, you know, five-year, twenty million dollar a year, so hundred million dollar total contract value award goes to one goes to one small business that might be a small who only who only had a run rate of 25 or 30 million dollars a year so you're literally like doubling you know almost like doubling the size of the company right with that with that one award but it, as you said it just goes to one company versus hey maybe you know may, maybe you look at some somewhat smaller slightly less complex requirements maybe there are a few more of those and so you make you know instead of making one 25 million dollar award you make three or four awards that are, you know, six, seven, eight million bucks a year, right? You, 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 it's still a nice jolt for those small businesses. There's maybe a little greater confidence they can execute on the work and, and you're actually spreading your bets a little bit and, and kind of helping keep that industrial base alive and and vibrant. Yeah. I think that's a great point too. Cause I think one of the things too, is when you make that big award, as an, you know, as a CEO and that, that department or, organization they've met their number right so they've got that one award they've met their number boom they're good right as opposed to the multiple that's a that's a that's worth definitely worth exploring examining al that's great um do you think and i want to turn this last question on this and do you and then i'll turn we'll turn to tts just do you think the section 876 authority unpriced you know the astro used that um you know, Oasis is contemplating using it. Um, I think Polaris is using it. Do you think that that could be a reduced barriers to entry for small business as well? And I, I know the schedules has made a decision not to use that authority, which, you know, over time, we'll see if that's the right decision or not. But 
I, I do think that could is is one you know one among several initiatives that could help reduce a barrier to entry there right not not having to kind of go through that that somewhat complex process and then you know having to live with some of those some of those ceiling rates right so I think that could be appealing to small business I will say just on that when I was in the seat at GSA I thought, oh this you know this is great right sort of everything's going to go this route and. You know, to GSA's credit, they went out on schedules and listened to their customers. And, I, you know, I was a little surprised, right? But, but uh, you know, but customers came back and in the majority said, hey, we actually like having some, you know, some some pricing associated with, with, um, with, with the schedules program. So good on GSA for listening and, and, you know, kind of taking customer feedback into account there. As you said, that's probably a developing story. We'll see how that, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, lo- longer term. Okay, great. And so the last topic for the show, I wanted to, I don't want to get it in. Got a couple minutes left. Uh, the technology transformation service, it's part of FAS, was merged into it a few years back. I, I know it's stepping up to participate and help on some of the key initiatives going on there. Can you talk a little bit about that? I can. Yeah, I think uh, that TTS team under uh, Dave Zavanich's leadership. Um, has has I think really grown, kind of grown in terms of what they're what, what they're taking on, and they're taking on some you know from what I hear some more kind of enterprise type systems, getting much more involved in uh, in SAM.gov and some of the the integrated award environment systems there that have all been sort of brought together under the un, under the SAM.gov uh, umbrella. I think uh, it's great. It shows perhaps a little bit of uh, maturation for the for the organization, right? To take on some some bigger and and more complex uh, projects like like that. And I think it's uh, it, it'll be interesting to see sort of the uh, some you know new thinking that they that they bring to uh, to some, some some of those initiatives. But you know, I noticed when they made the transition from you know the the Dun and Bradstreet number over to the uh, unique entity identifier number right and there were some hiccups there as you as, as you would expect there's some hiccups to be i noticed that the the statement out to the press and industry came from uh from dave from, from dave zavanich right who who runs a tts team there under under sunny which i think um if you're a reader of tea leaves at gsa like i am i said ah, i think you know i think i think i see something uh in there which is which is that the tts team is going to have a little bit more of a hand in those in those type of systems uh, yeah that and i i think that's important i think it will you know, help move the, move the ball down the field. Right. And well, Alan, it's always great to catch up, you know, and I, I know you're enjoying your, your, your time at the beach right now. And I appreciate you could, you would take the time, time to do the show. Um, so thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Roger. It's always great talking with you. Yeah. My guest today has been Alan Thomas. He's the chief operating officer at IntelliBridge. I'm Roger Waldron, and you've been listening to off the shelf on federal news network. You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.